That's John 1, 19 to 34. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confess freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave his, this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Well, please keep that passage open uh, in front of you. Uh, this Christmas time in these morning services, we've been thinking about our sense of wonder. Are we gripped by what happened 2,000 years ago? Amidst all that's going on in our minds this time of year, that fading festive feeling, or our New Year reflections, or that imminent January gloom that's just around the corner, this is a thought to lift us to much more significant things. Is my view, is our view of Jesus uh, really big enough? Do we wonder enough? Do I really grasp him? Do I get him? Is my view of Jesus big enough that it really changes how I live, as much as it should do. Some of us here will have been Christians for many years. Has our view of him faded a little? Or do we tend to think, well, we know him well enough? Uh, thank you very much. Maybe some of us here don't really have a view of Jesus at all. We've never really considered him. Or if you have, you haven't made much of him. Is your view of Jesus, is our view of Jesus, big enough? Well, the short answer for every single one of us in this room is no, of course not. We're limited. We can't fully grasp God. But it's worth trying and growing our view. And we're going to try this morning for the next few minutes. And let's be ambitious for the year ahead. And if you're going to be ambitious about anything, be ambitious for this. Your knowledge of, your love of, your wonder at Jesus Christ. We need help. Let us pray. Uh, the psalmist writes of God's word as his eternal heritage 
He says, they, that is God's word, are the joy of my heart. And Lord our Father, we pray that that would be true of us this morning. That your word would be the joy of our hearts. Uh, We thank you for your spirit and we pray that you would breathe spiritual life into us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are looking at John the Baptist in the gospel account written by John, two different Johns. We're on page 1063, if you've shut it, 1 verse 19 to 34. Uh, Please have it open as we go along. And we're pondering John the Baptist, and it is an extraordinary moment in history. Look down with me at verse 29. And what would it take for you to, to see a man coming towards you, a real flesh and blood human, and coming towards you and see them with your own eyes, and to make a claim as monumental as John's. Uh, verse 29, that man, him, John says, look, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 34, John says, he is God's chosen one. Now what would it take for you to make such a claim? Well, John the Baptist is relevant to us on a a few levels. Uh, Firstly, as a credible witness to who Jesus really was. Uh, Verse 19 uses the language of John's testimony. That is a technical term of the time from the law court, a reliable witness who can be trusted. Uh, John is a hugely respected figure. He's not a fanatic simpleton. He's a credible witness telling us who Jesus was. We should listen to him. On another level, John the Baptist is a model believer. We should be like him. He comes to know and grasp and rightly wonder at Jesus. And so it's worth the question, if we're believers, is who we think Jesus is the same as who John thinks Jesus is? Will we let him shape, expand, challenge the content of our belief about Jesus? Or do we assume that we've got it all figured out ourselves. On a third level, John is a model sharer of the gospel, a teller of others, and we should do likewise. He tells others in a way that points away from himself and towards Jesus. Look at verse 19 with me. Now this was John's testimony. When the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. And this carries on more questions. Um, And John deflects all interest in himself. Um, Look at verse 21. He, He almost begins to sound annoyed, doesn't he? They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself John the Baptist is a model of telling others about Jesus. In that, he says, it's not about me. I'm not about me. I'm all about Jesus. He is the one person you need to grasp and who I want to tell you about. Uh, Will we let his example shape our lives this year? Uh, Do I have a big enough view of Jesus that he will be what I prioritize as much as he should do? And that all starts not with activism alone, not just with us trying harder or action 
but zeal fueled by this wonder at who Jesus is and what he's doing in the world. John the Baptist fuels our wonder by turning to Isaiah three times in our verses, as if to fit Jesus into the whole conceptual framework of the Old Testament, the big story of what God is doing in the world, uh, saying, well, Jesus is no side character, um, nor am I just sort of inventing his significance. Rather, John is saying, God spoke through Isaiah 700 years earlier of his great plan, of what he's doing, of justice and salvation for the whole world. And now that is all happening through Jesus Christ. We're going to see three ways, those are our three points, in which John the Baptist helps us understand Jesus by pointing us back to Isaiah. We're going to be jumping back there a few times, but bear with me, it'll be worth it. And you can tell me afterwards if it isn't. Firstly, Jesus is the glory of the Lord for all to see. In verse 23, in responding to our direct question again about himself, John quotes Isaiah and manages at the same time to talk all about Jesus. Verse 23, John replied in the words of Isaiah, the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. And it's a quote from Isaiah 40. Um, Page 75, do do turn there, but keep a finger or thumb or whatever you have in John. And we'll be back there in a moment. Um, Page 725, Isaiah 40. And the context in Isaiah 40 is a beleaguered Israel punished for their sin, feeling the absence of their God. And into that context, these are majestic, extraordinary words. Isaiah 40, verse 3, a voice of one calling, and that is who John the Baptist is claiming to be, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Isaiah says... Our Lord, the one and only Lord, the creator and judge of the whole world, is coming. And that could not be a more significant claim for the world, for this world. Verse 4, every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together. Well, Isaiah says there is a day coming when the Lord will appear, or more specifically, the glory of the Lord. That is the very essence of God Himself, the thing Moses couldn't even look at, that Isaiah was terrified of. And verse 5 that glory will be revealed, and all people will see it together. And John the Baptist, by saying he's the the verse 3, voice of one calling, is claiming that Jesus, a man born in Nazareth in history, at a particular place and time, is the glory of the Lord for all to see. That is, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus, the person of Jesus. That is the glory of the Lord. And not a distant and removed deity, but involved, 
If you've never read on in John's Gospel, and I'd encourage you would, you will be meeting God himself in Jesus. Jesus, the glory of the Lord, has appeared in history in a particular time and place. As Isaiah said, the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. And God has come for all to see and his name is Jesus Christ. But no, we might say, and I say, uh, the scoffers would say, but not everyone has seen it. The world hasn't believed. Many have, billions have. But billions have not seen the glory of the Lord come in Jesus. Now hold that thought, that tension, and we'll come back to that in a moment. And firstly, Jesus is the glory of the Lord for all to see. Secondly, I come back to John, page 1063, or where your thumb was. Um, back in John, verse 29, Jesus is the Lamb of God. Look at verse 29 with me, page 1063. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, in one sense, the claim again is universal. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Everyone, all, offered the removal of their sin by the Lamb of God. Uh, but maybe at this point in John, the sin of the world is more the type of sin the world does, uh, the sin of the world. Well, so far in John, what is the world? 1 verse 10, the world is that which does not recognize Jesus. The Bible often, particularly Isaiah actually, talks of sin as this sort of blindness, an unseeing yet hatred of God. Now, the world which doesn't know God is in the dark, but nonetheless hates him and holds him at arm's length. And so the world did not recognize Jesus, hated him and killed him. And we are all, me included, in the world. That is, we have that instinctive opposition to God. Without really seeing him or knowing him, we hate him. The world so hating God that it, we, would rather kill him than listen. And that is the sin of the world. That is what makes sense, actually, of John's claim that Jesus is the glory of the Lord for all to see, and yet so many haven't. Um, because the problem isn't a lack of glory. The problem isn't that Jesus wasn't quite God enough, wasn't clear enough, wasn't visible enough. The issue was a lack of vision, a blindness, a cognitive failure. The problem is the sin of the world. And John, verse 29, looks right at Jesus Christ and says, Look, see, open your eyes. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, John is again turning to Isaiah to make his point. Um, page 741, again, keep your finger in John. Isaiah 53, page 741. And Isaiah 53, page 741. Isaiah speaks of a man who, who no one will recognize, a man whom the world will look on with blindness. 
because the sin of the world will stop people realizing what's going on. And John says, this man is Jesus, the Lamb of God. Isaiah 53, uh, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from, pe- from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But we didn't really get him, Isaiah says. We were blind at the sin of the world. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. This man, dying under the punishment others deserve, and in doing so, healing them from their sin. And John says that this is Jesus, the Lamb of God. Verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. We've wandered off the sin of the world. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And here's the verbal link. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. Well, John, by using the title Lamb of God to describe Jesus, is saying Jesus is the one Isaiah spoke of. The world will not recognize him as God. They are blind, the sin of the world, and so will kill him, slaughtered like a lamb. But in doing so, he will take away the sin of the world, and people will come to see and know God. Later in John's Gospel, Jesus' death on a cross is described multiple times as the hour of his glory. As Jesus is lifted up, going through that agony on behalf of others, John says, well, that is the moment which allows others to see his glory, God, who Jesus really is. Because it is there that sin is dealt with, punished, and eyes are opened, blindness removed. As Isaiah says, he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Now that is the moment, the sin of the world, the blind hatred of the world, of us, is dealt with. And that is the moment when sight is given. God's character most fully on display. His mercy, taking away the sin from sinners. And justice, him punishing sin as he should. And God's love for the world. Well, Jesus is the glory of the Lord for all to see. But the world can't see. And so we need Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the blindness of the world. Well, how big is your view of Jesus? And thirdly, Jesus is God's chosen servant, bringing justice to the nations. And once again, and one last time, John turns to Isaiah to expand our view of Jesus. Um, Turn to Isaiah 42, page 7 to 8, and one last time, then we'll be back in John. Isaiah 42, page 7 to 8. 
And Isaiah, again, is speaking into a context when God's people are desperate. And they are described as blind, like the world. They've lost sight of their God. They don't know him. And they're surrounded by other violent nations who are destroying them. And the Lord promises them that he will bring justice by his servant. Justice, that is um, right governance, peaceful order, a flourishing under God. And he won't bring it by uh, violence or power as we know it, not by crushing, destroying the enemies, but by a servant who gently speaks. Isaiah 42, verse 1. Here is my servant whom, I'm, whom I uphold, my chosen one. And notice that phrase, John uses it of Jesus in our passage. My chosen one in whom I delight, I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. And John the Baptist says, well, that is Jesus. That that is what he's doing right now, bringing justice to the nations. And verse 4, he will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on earth. We'll come back to John, page 1064. That's the end of the jumping around. Um, We'll stay in John. Look at what John says, page 1064, verse 32. Then John gave his testimony. I saw the Spirit... Remember that from Isaiah 42. Come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Well, there's a lot in our passage about baptism. Um, You might have noticed that. Uh, John the Baptist, famously, he baptizes people. And baptism is an image of uh, joining the people of God, being washed clean from sin, forgiven, dying and being reborn as a new child of God. Um, Baptism here, less about babies in white dresses and more about people who are utterly blind to God, hearing the gospel and coming to a living faith as they are washed from sin. And John says, well, I'm just baptizing with water. It's just a symbol. But Jesus, verse 33, is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And that fits exactly into what Isaiah 42 was saying. As Jesus, this chosen servant, speaks as his word, the gospel, is breathed out by the Spirit. All nations will hear of the Lamb of God. And people from all over the world have and are and will come to faith 
baptized by the Spirit on hearing the gospel. By Jesus, as his word continues to be spoken, cleansed from sin, forgiven, and reborn as children of God. And John says that is the justice that Jesus, the servant, the chosen servant, will bring forth to the nations. That is the taking away of the sin the Lamb of God achieves. Uh, that is the glory of the Lord appearing for all to see. As the gospel, as Jesus' gospel is spoken by the Spirit in him, people are baptized and come to faith and are washed and join the people of God. Isaiah 42 verse 4, he said this, in his te teaching, that is the chosen one, Jesus' words, in his teaching, the islands, even those far-off regions, will put their hope. Well, how big is your view of Jesus? Jesus is no small incident, incidental figure. Um, he's no side character in the box set of human history. It is all about him. Jesus is the glory of the Lord, who has remarkably appeared Jesus is the Lamb of God who died for our transgressions, so all who might come to him would be healed. And Jesus is God's chosen servant, who was and is and will bring justice to the nations. And all of this spoken by the Lord through Isaiah is God's great promised plan. This is the way God will make the world anew and bring justice and it all centers on Jesus Christ. You know, Christianity is not about us. Now, the gospel message, it's not about you and me and what my little Jesus did for me. It's about Jesus putting the world right. I mean, it has wonderful implications for us, don't get me wrong. As we're caught up in what God is doing, his appearance brings life to us and hope of an eternal future and knowledge, personal knowledge of God our maker. But the gospel, it's not about us. It's not a small thing made to fix our little problems in the new year. It's not there to make us feel a little less gloomy or to help us get up in the morning. It's not a therapy. The world is about something and God is in action and he's doing something and that thing is Jesus Christ. And the question for us is not whether that's true or not. The question is whether we'll acknowledge it, whether we'll see things as they are, and much more than that this year, whether we'll live lives in 2024 that makes sense in light of what's really going on. How big a view of Jesus will this year be built on for you? All the small and not-so-small decisions you will make every day our future plans, bigger decisions, will they be built on this view of Jesus, on this view of reality centered around him? Well, John the Baptist is presented to us as a credible witness we should listen to. He believed in Jesus, grasped him, wondered at him, and he points us back to Isaiah and says, all that the Lord promised then is happening now now, the glory of the Lord has appeared. The Lamb of God has died and removed the blindness of the world. 
And Jesus, the spirit-filled chosen servant of God, is declaring truth to all nations, establishing justice. And that, Jesus, is what the world, is what life, is what next year is all about, and whether we will see it that way or not. Verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 34, I have seen and I testify that this, Jesus, is God's chosen one. Well, let me pray and lead us in prayer. Lord, our Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you have appeared and that you have died and removed the blindness of the world. And we thank you for what you're doing in this world right now as the gospel goes out and is breathing life and justice to all who would listen. And we pray for ourselves, Lord, that we would be part of that and see that and grasp that and wonder at that now and this coming year. In Jesus' name, amen.